Hey, we're wrapping up our series on Church on Mission this week, and we're going to look at a text out of Luke chapter 6, where Jesus tells us that if someone slaps you on your cheek, you're to turn the other also. He also says that if someone takes your shirt, to give them your coat as well. And we'll look at a passage that says, if someone forces you to go one mile, then go two miles with them. I don't know about you, but maybe the question you're asking, is that what we're really supposed to do? And if so, how is that even possible? And so I'm looking forward to digging into God's word and trying to understand on what a church on mission looks like of being a people of mercy. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm so thankful to open up God's Word this morning with you. And uh, we are wrapping up this series where we've been thinking about what is a church on mission. And we've looked at several different aspects of that. And two weeks ago, I was privileged to be able to go with 68 of our kids to Centra Kid Camp um, as a dad and as a chaperone, as maybe a pastor to that group. And and really thankful to go and be a part of that. You'd be so proud of the kids that went. They behaved so well. But what I love the most is they were really seeking after God. And, and the theme of the camp was beyond the surface. And it was looking at different aspects of our heart. And one of the aspects of our hearts that they looked at was a heart of mercy. And that day as I sought the Lord with the kids and listened, and the Lord just convicted my heart. Josh, you need a heart of mercy. And so the Lord began to work in my heart and prepare me for even to be able to share some of this with you today. And, uh, you know, one of the things I thought about with mercy, when I was growing up, there was a game that we used to play. And the game took you and a friend, at least they called themselves your friend, <laughs> and you would interdigitate your fingers with them. Like if I had a volunteer up here, we would clasp hands like this, and someone would say, go, and then you would take and you would try to bend your finger, your friend's fingers back and their hands back in such a way that they would say what? Mercy. I don't know. I heard that. Actually, some people said uncle. I don't know where you were from, but maybe that was a different generation. But I, me growing up, it was mercy. Somebody said, hey, mercy. And, and hopefully if you were the one saying mercy, your friend would let up and they would relent and they wouldn't keep going before they broke your fingers. Mercy. You see, mercy by definition is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. If you look it up in the dictionary, that is what mercy is. It's when we have all the rights and the power to punish or harm, but you don't do it, you show mercy. It's the little game, right? You had all the power. You could have broken your friend's fingers, but you stopped. You didn't keep going. You didn't punish them any further. You see, mercy by definition is a noun. But when you have mercy or you show mercy, it makes it a verb, an action. It's something that we do. And mercy is what we all want personally, isn't it? Anybody else gotten pulled over by a police officer before? Any hands in the room? Some of you guys are like, raise your hand. That was you. <laughs> I have, unfortunately, love there is the Greek word agape. Maybe you've heard that word before. Agape, it's the God kind of love that has no conditions. 
that says, I am going to love you no matter what you do to me. Agape love. Love your enemies. So how can we love our enemies? He gives us these three next commands. Look at this next one. Second command, do good to those who hate you. This is to do right with a high standard. Yes, to even those who hate you. It's, it's doing for them what you would do for someone who has done you no wrong. Do good to those who hate you. The third command is this, to bless those who curse you. Bless them. That word curse there was a way of, of speaking and excommunication to someone. Basically saying, I'm going to cut you so deep that I want to have nothing to do with you. I'm going to curse you. But to bless is to say, I'm going to speak well of you. I'm going to praise. Bless those who curse you. What about the fourth imperative? The fourth command was to pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for those, to intercede, to go before God, intercede on the behalf of someone who has mistreated you. How in the world? I mean, think about this. Not one unbeliever would ever say to you, hey, I noticed how she hurt you so deeply. How are you going to do good for her? Or I noticed how they hurt you so bad. What, um, how are you going to bless her or him? No one is saying you should keep loving and praying for them. But the word says to, God says to, but here's what I'm afraid of, church. I'm afraid the mindset of the world can inundate us as Christians where we begin to agree with the world and think, well, maybe that's right. They hurt me so deeply. I have the right to hurt them back and I'm going to do so. I'm going to figure a way to get even here. We begin to agree with the world and it's so easy to do that, but to love those who have wronged you takes a work of God. And I believe it's a work of mercy. You see, when someone hurts you, you have all the rights to get even. By our world standards, we have these unwritten rules in our society that says, hey, if somebody does you wrong, you have every right to get them back. Did you know that even in those days, they had the same thing? They actually had a law that said, hey, tooth for tooth and eye for eye. If somebody knocks your tooth out, you get to knock their tooth out. If somebody knocks, <laughs> hits you in the eye, you get to hit them back in the eye. You have these rights, don't you? But when you have these rights and you don't utilize them for your advantage, it's called mercy. So Jesus says, hey, let me take this a step further. Let me show you what this might look like. Look at the passage of scripture, verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And in Matthew's account, he adds another thing. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go two. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm asking the question, what in the world? Jesus, what are you talking about? How could you actually say this? If someone slaps me, how do I not slap them back? If someone takes my stuff, I'm gonna go get it back. If someone does wrong to me, how do I not repay them for the wrong they've done to me? Pastor Bill and I were commenting and having a conversation about this a few days ago about this topic and thinking about it. What if somebody did slap you on the face? By the way, this slap would probably be a backhand slap to your cheek. 
What would you do? What would be your emotional response? And there were several things we listed. Well, maybe surprise. Maybe you'd be shocked. Maybe you'd be humiliated in that moment. Maybe there'd be fear that would rise up in you. Probably anger. But one of the things that we did not list was that you'd probably turn the other cheek. It's just so hard to think about that. I mean, even if somebody takes your stuff, why don't you take it back? What if somebody says, go with me one mile and go two? You see, in that day, there was a law. There was actually a Roman law that if a Roman soldier asked you to take their pack for a mile, they could, they could ask you to do so. And you had to carry it for up to one mile, but not beyond that. Jesus says, go the extra mile. So the question I ask myself, and we should all ask ourselves here, when someone does something wrong to you, how is it possible not to retaliate? How is it possible not to get even? How is it possible to even do good to them? Can I just say, I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's impossible. But can I tell you a few different ways that I believe that it is possible to show this kind of mercy? This is not in your sermon notes, but you might just jot these down. The ways that I believe it's possible to show this kind of mercy, number one is this, that you love God more than you love your life. You love God more than you love your own life. Because when we get wrapped up in our own life, it becomes about us. When we, our, our lives are important, and I'm not discrediting that at all, but when we love God more than we love our lives, he gives us the strength to do this every day. Second is this, you love people and are concerned about their eternity. You see, there's this bigger perspective and people's eternal destination matter more to you than even your own personal well-being. You love people and are concerned about their eternity. The third is this, that you are on a mission for the kingdom. You realize there's something or someone that's bigger and greater to live for than your own lives. You're living to make the name and fame of Jesus great. When I was at kids camp, I shared with the kids this story. It's something that happened to me in the sixth grade. See, we were fourth, fifth, and sixth grade kids at kids camp. And we were talking about a heart of mercy there. I shared with them this story. When I was in the sixth grade, I started um, band. They, and I was in... Uh, a group of an ensemble, basically. I was a drummer in the band. And so in this ensemble, you had a couple of drummers, you had a few French horn players and maybe a couple of trumpet players. So it was a small ensemble. It was in our fourth grade class. They had to break us up because there were so many different people in band. But in my band class, it was me and another drummer. His name was Brandon. Brandon was a big guy. And I knew from Brandon's words and from his life that Brandon did not know Jesus. I had given my life to Christ when I was young. At six years old, I, I came to know Jesus. And I was trying to live for him. I wanted to be a witness for Christ. And so every day we would go to band class. And, and band class was um, across the parking lot. We would walk from our, our regular classroom across the parking lot to the band hall. And every day, Brandon would curse, and he would talk about all kinds of things that he was doing, just terrible, sinful kind of things. And me as this sixth grade kid, I'm just having a hard, tough time. I'm like, I feel so oppressed right now. This is so hard for me. How am I going to continue on in band? 
I love band, but this is hard. And every day we would just continue that, but I would just try to be a, a good witness to Brandon, try to tell him about Jesus and try to live Jesus before him. And one day after class, after band class, we were walking back across the parking lot and there was nothing that precipitated this. I had no idea why this happened. We were walking back across and Brandon came up behind me and kind of jump kicked me in the back of the, in my back, knocked me down and I, I scrubbed my hands on the, on the concrete asphalt. And in that moment, I, I didn't know what to do. In my head, I thought, I need to get up and fight this guy back. But in my heart, God spoke to me in that moment in just that very brief half a second, what am I to do, Lord? He said, get up and keep walking. Because I knew in my heart that if I went back and retaliated against Brandon, everything that I had said and done become null and void. He could look at me and say, Josh, none of that stuff you believe is actually really real in your life. See, even as a sixth grade kid, I was on mission. I, was, I cared about his eternity. I wanted him to know Jesus. And that mattered more to me than getting up and being right and being justified in that moment. You see, as a church, when we are a church on mission, our possessions our time, our comfort, and yes, even our personal well-being are on the line for the kingdom. Listen, that's not very popular to say. Because a lot of times we want to say, well, yeah, I want to I, I be a Christ follower. I want to be a person on mission, but not if it infringes on my comfort. If it infringes on my possessions or even my personal well-being, then that's not for me. But see, if we're going to be people of mercy, it costs us those things. And we hold nothing back to point to people to Jesus. And so look at what the scripture says in verse 31. Jesus even says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Maybe you've heard this statement before. We know this as the golden rule. Some of you may have like, I didn't know Jesus said that. Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And how do we want others to do to us? Well, good. We want them to do good to us, of course. But what about this? What about when we've done something wrong to someone else? What do we want? We all want mercy. Every one of us don't want to be get, given what we deserve. We all want mercy. And I think what I, what I know is that the world is looking at you and me as Christians, as the church, and they're wondering how are you going to respond when someone treats you wrong? When someone hurts you so deeply, will it be said of the church that you love your enemies, that you do good to those who hurt you, that you bless those who curse you, that you pray for those who mistreat you? Can that be said of us? Now, let me say this. I don't believe Jesus is advocating here for Christians to be pushovers and to have no backbone whatsoever. That Jesus is not saying, hey, let people abuse you for no reason. First Peter chapter two actually even talks about this. He says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under pain or unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. You see it? But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Like if you've done something wrong and you kind of deserve it, there's no credit for that. But if you suffer for doing good 
and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you recall because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Listen, church, we live for something. We live for someone so much greater than the temporary discomforts of this life. We're talking about persecution here. We're talking about when you've done right and you are done wrong. I mean, even think about Jesus, right? He was a God of justice. He showed justice. He's turning the tables over at the time, right? But what I want us to think about and what we need to hear from Scripture is that, church, we have more to live for than what the world tries to sell us. That if somebody does you wrong, you get to do wrong back to them. So then Jesus moves on and he says in verse 32, look back at the text, if you love those who love you, What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. You see what Jesus is pointing out? He's pointing out a human condition that we all default to. It's this, if you love me, I'll love you back. If you do good to me, I'll do good back to you. But what about those who don't love you? Will you still love them? What about those who don't do good for you and to you? Will you still do good to them? And you may say, Josh, but look at all the people I already love. I mean, isn't it enough that I love the good church people here and that I share with them what I have? Isn't that enough? And, and you know what you're doing? You're just doing what comes naturally to you. And anyone can do that. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can show mercy to those who shouldn't deserve it, who don't deserve it, who shouldn't be shown mercy. See, the typical human choice is to help those who can help me back. But what about for those who can't do anything for us? What about those who've even wronged us? Sometimes the tendency is to step to the other side and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of mercy. Jesus shared a story about this and illustrated it in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the good Samaritan. I'll recap it for us just to remind us about the story. So there was a day where there's a man, he's on the road and he falls into the hands of some robbers They beat him. They strip him from his clothes. They take all he has, and they leave him half dead on the road. It just happens to be that on that same day, there's a priest coming down that same road. It says in the scripture that when the priest sees the man, he walks on the other side of the road and passes by. Right after that, a a man, a Levite man, walking down the same road, notices the man who's half dead on the road and he sees him and he passes by on the other side. It says, then there's a Samaritan, who by the way is the enemy of the people that he's speaking to. There's a Samaritan who sees the man. It says in the scripture that he had pity on him. He stops, he bandages his wounds with oil and wine. He puts him on his own donkey and he leads him to an inn. And at the end, he says, hey, take care of this guy. Here's the money to do so. And if there's anything left, when I return, I will pay it in full. 
And Jesus has this conversation with those who were in this hearing. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, in that parable, Jesus shares the priest, here he is a servant of God. Someone we would look at and say, yay, (laughs) the priest is here. He's going to help, right? He passes on by. The Levite, a a person of the priestly family from the Levitical line, you're going to help, aren't you? And he passes on by. But everyone who heard this for the first time would have gasped. And they heard that the enemy, he was the one who stopped. He was the one who took time to have mercy on this man. So maybe you could ask the question, why didn't the priest stop? Why didn't the Levite stop that day? And we could come up with all kinds of answers. Maybe they were in a hurry. Maybe they had something more important to do. Maybe they just didn't like the sight of blood. I don't know. All kinds of reasons we could come up with. Why did they not stop? But what we can see from the text is that in this parable, that in order for someone to stop, they were going to have to get involved. And getting involved mean that it was going to be messy. Because what I know about mercy, if you're really showing mercy to someone, it's messy. It's messy. Because it's so involved. There's things that you're going to have to do. And it's, man, I got to get involved here. But you know what the easy thing to do here is just be, to be just like the priest and the Levite and to look at it and say, hmm, I just got to keep on moving. I can't get involved there. I mean, the easy thing to do is just put our head down and act like nothing's going on. The easy thing to do in this moment is to justify in our minds that maybe I've done enough and maybe somebody else will come by and help him. Mercy is messy. I hope you see that. But I want you to also see that mercy is costly. It cost this man, the Samaritan man, obviously money, cost him his time, cost him, I don't know what else he had to do that day, but there were all kinds of things. So showing mercy will cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your comfort, your possessions, maybe even your well-being. Mercy. Can we be people of mercy? Because look at what Jesus says at verse 35. Look back at the text. It says, but you love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So listen, my friends, if mercy is messy and it's costly, why would we even do it? Why would we love those who've hurt us? Why would we bless those who've cursed us? Why would we do good? Why would we pray? Well, number one, I believe it's because that is who our God is, and we want to be like him. We sing songs, you're worthy, you are worthy. He is because of what he's done. But secondly, I think it's this, because we get to be called children of the Most High God, sons and daughters. When we show mercy to others, that's what we're called. Children of the Most High God. And isn't that enough? Shouldn't that be enough for us? Be called children of the Most High God. So friends, don't miss this. Think about this. 
at the heart of our God is mercy. At the heart of our God is mercy. I mean, you think about this. From the beginning of humanity and the very first sin, all throughout all of Scripture and every sin that's happened ever since that very first one, God has been a God of mercy. We see in Jesus, even this happening, he's having dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. He's having dinner with Matthew. And he's at their house, and the Pharisees see Jesus at this house, and they call him on it. They say, Jesus, what are you doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? And this is Jesus' response. It's on your screen, Matthew 9. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I desire mercy over sacrifice. It's at the heart of who God is. And we see it in Jesus. And did you know Jesus is quoting Hosea chapter 6 here? I want to read this for you. You could turn there later. But Hosea chapter 6, just listen very closely. It says this, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us. That we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? He's talking about the people of Israel. What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist. You seen the morning mist lately? Like the early dew that disappears. That's what happens to it, isn't it? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. There was all this condemnation that was upon the people, wasn't it? And they needed to repent. But this is what's said next. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. That passage of scripture that Jesus is quoting to the people there in Matthew chapter 9 is saying, I desire mercy from a people who are struggling with repentance. Can you identify with that? Where you're just like, I, I, I struggle with this. This is hard for me. But he's saying, I will have mercy and I desire mercy over even sacrifice. Our God is merciful. But you know what? It wasn't something that Jesus has talked about. He actually lived it. You know, the ultimate act of mercy is the cross. That is the ultimate act of mercy. We see it there, isn't it? See, my friend, sin had to be paid for. We have a problem, right? God could not be a just and righteous God and allow sin to be in his presence. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot be in a relationship with God because of our sin. But God, in his great mercy, sent his son Jesus to take on your sins and my sins so that mercy and justice 
justice would meet at the cross. Mercy and justice would meet at the cross in Jesus, where he would pay for our sins because they've got to be paid for, and he would do it through his mercy on the cross. My friends, it's incredible what Jesus has done. He has been so merciful to us. How can we not show mercy to others? I think that's why he could say in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. See, when we give mercy like he gave, we get it. We get mercy. This is the example Jesus set for us in 1 Peter chapter 2. Some of this will be on the screen for you. It says, to this you were called. This is finishing what we read earlier. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving for you an example. Here's the example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. This is Jesus. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You see this? Jesus had every right to retaliate. He had every right to retaliate against their insults, but he did not retaliate because he was on a mission for him to complete. And he entrusted himself to his father who would make all things right. So what about you? Can we follow Jesus's example of loving your enemies to showing mercy to those no one would else show mercy? You see, they slapped Jesus and he turned the other cheek. They took his clothes. They made him carry the cross. See, I needed mercy and it cost Jesus everything. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says this way, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you understand what that says? That his mercies are new every moment and for forever. That his mercies are today, in this moment, right now, and for all of eternity. That's what God does for us, his mercies. And today you can receive God's mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we must do. We can't place our trust in our own self. We have nothing to offer because of our sin. But listen to me, this is so serious. If you've never trusted in Jesus, my friend, you are still under God's wrath. There's mercy for you. It's here. It's now. It's today. In this moment, and God is offering it to you. You can have his mercy and forgiveness. doesn't matter what you've done. If you think in your share right now, I don't deserve it, you don't. That's why we need mercy. And maybe you're sitting in your seat today, and you're thinking, man, somebody has done me so wrong. They have hurt me so deeply. There's no way I could do that and show mercy to them. May God, may, may God work in your life today too. Maybe God's working in you to say, you know what? You need to release them and forgive them and show mercy as I've shown you mercy.
I don't know how God's speaking to your heart today, but we have a time of invitation. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we give you a moment to be able to respond to how God's leading in your life. Man, and if your heart's just, man, I know something in me. God, you're working. I need to make a decision. I need to fill in the blank. Would you just do that? Would you take that step today? His mercies are here in this moment today, right now, for you. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you in need of your mercy and grace. We have done nothing to deserve it. But because of your great love, you gave your son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to be resurrected so that we can have new life in you when we place our trust in you. So I pray for any person in this room right now, anyone that's online listening, that God, they would respond to you right here in this moment that we would be obedient to say yes to your call. And so we trust you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We have this time of invitation where we have pastors here at the front. We have the altar. There's steps right here. We invite you to come, pray, talk with the pastor, ask questions. Say, God's dealing with me. He's doing something in my heart today. I need you to talk to me. We would love nothing more than to help you today. The God of mercy is here. He's waiting. He's ready. You respond as he leads.